Hi, once again, thanks for joining us as we study through the Wilderness Wanderings, the book of Numbers. We're going to find ourselves in Numbers chapter 20 today, Numbers chapter 20, as we look through the whole chapter. And uh, it's one of those books or chapters that's the tone isn't very positive. I'm just going to be up front with you. In fact, when I, was, when I was reading through and thinking about it, I started thinking about a book that I had read in, in my childhood uh, where it talked about Alexander and the horrible, no good, very bad day, which is always a mouthful to say. But uh, maybe you've read it. Maybe you've read it to your kids or to your, your uh, grandkids. But the book basically just goes through Alexander's day and how nothing seems to go right and everything is bad and every people, all the good things happen to them and all the bad things happen to him. And he's constantly referring to, you know, I wish I could send you to Australia or I wish I could go to Australia. And he just has this idea that for some reason in Australia, it's going to be so much better. But the book goes through all the difficulties that this, this boy has in his, in his day. And toward the end of the book, um, the, mom, the mom looks at him, mom says to him, you know, even in Australia, some days are just like that. There's some hard days. There's some difficult times in our lives that we, that we face. And whether it's in Australia or here in America or wherever, we know that because of humanity, because of sinful natures of people, the sinful nature of people, because of the curse of sin, there are just days that are hard. There are days that are difficult, and there are days that hurt. And as we come to Numbers chapter 20, it is a very difficult day. In fact, it is a day that Moses and Aaron, they're going to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And it's going to go on for weeks. And in the case of, for Moses, it's going to go on for about four months here, where there's going to be some heartache. There's going to be some hurt and some difficulty that occurs. Many people, commentators say that Numbers 20, they believe, is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. And you'll see why as we, as we unfold. It's, it's, it's heartache. There's hurt that occurs here. There's tragedy. There's trials. All for the leaders of, of Israel, for Moses, for Aaron, as they go through. The theme of death that we found in chapter 19 of how to deal with death uh, and, and how to be cleansed from that is going to continue, but it's, it's going to get real. It's, it's going to come right into the front porch, the front doorstep of Moses and Aaron in their lives. And, you know, as you, as you think about it, since, we've, we, since the rebellion of Numbers 13 and 14, we've learned throughout those next chapters that rebellion brings about death. It brings about penalty, and it is there. And God has established, as we look through it, that God has established Moses and Aaron as the leaders of Israel, as uh, the, the family that is going to be established for the priestly line with Aaron. And we've learned through the last few chapters and that we're to, the people were to take care of the priests and, and the Levites. And we saw that God had made provisions for all these different areas. And we come to Numbers chapter 20, and we're, we're reminded that it's a time of travel. In fact, Numbers chapter 20 is considered the third transition or travel time that occurs in the book of Numbers. Remember all the way back, maybe you don't, that's okay. All the way back in the first lesson we did, we talked that there were three basic times of travel in the wilderness. Though there was the wandering period that we, we sort of have just alluded to. But in, you have them coming out of the Red Sea 
And then they come from the Red Sea and they find themselves eventually in Mount Sinai. And that's where Exodus 19, all the way through the book of Leviticus and all the way into Numbers chapter 10, was found at Mount Sinai. And then they went for, so they went from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. And then from Mount Sinai, there was going to be, and that was the first major journey that that occurred from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. Then the second major journey is going to occur or occurred in Numbers chapter 10 through 12, where the people were finally ready to move. And remember all that pomp and circumstance and excitement. And they're going to move from Mount Sinai and they're going to move toward Kadesh Barnea, toward an oasis on the southern edge of the promised land, getting ready. And Moses, they send in the spies. The spies come back, but the rebellion of the people occurs in Numbers 13 and 14. And because of the rebellion of the people and the justness of God, there is a, there's a deadly detour that takes place. And for 40 years, the people are going to wander in the wilderness and the generation of 20 plus is going to, to die off. And so now we're at that point in Numbers chapter 20 where most of the generation of the 20 plus year olds has now died off. We're 40 years later, which, which is really weird because we're like, well, what happened during those 40 years? Numbers will cover a little bit, some of the places a little bit later on, but God says this is just this a mundane time of death. It's just, it occurs. And they sort of skip over it because not a whole lot is occurring during that time, although there's a lot of wandering and a lot of just life happening. But this generation is now being passed away, has been passed away or is almost passed away. And they're about ready to take on that third major journey where they're going to go from Kadesh all the way up to the plains of Moab. Now, as this journey gets ready to take place here in the middle of Numbers chapter 20, they're going to hit some hiccups. They're going to hit some troubles in the, in the middle there. And as they find their way, they, they find their way back to Kadesh. And it's, it's really interesting how it happens where they started at Kadesh, where the rebellion first happened in Numbers 13 and 14. They wander for 40 years. Numbers 33, if you really want to go look through all of the places, has that. They wander through the wilderness and they find themselves back at, at Kadesh. Now Kadesh is, there is Kadesh Barnea, or I'm going to say it both ways because sometimes it's just Kadesh or Kadesh, same thing. Uh, it's an area. There's the oasis of Kadesh Barnea and all around it was fruitful, but there's more of the area. It would be like you're in Lebanon. Well, are you in Lebanon City or Lebanon County? There's, there's both. You could say both and be right in all. So you're going to see here, there's going to be Kadesh, and there's going to be eventually, sometimes you'll hear the word Kadesh Meribah, which is a part we're going to talk about here. It's just, just a little bit outside of Kadesh, but it's not a thriving oasis. So they're going to move from Kadesh, get ready to move to Moab, but before it does, dark days occur. Look how it starts in, in verse 1. It says, And it came, the chil- then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. You find out right away in that first month, and this is the 40th year. Uh, in fact, we'll, we'll learn, we can see that in uh, chapter 33, verse 38. It talks about Aaron's death in the 40th year in the fifth month, which we'll get to at the end of this chapter. This is the first month. So it is in the last year, the 40th year, as they're getting ready to leave, they're in Kadesh, and Miriam is going to die. The prophetess, the leader, the sister of Moses and Aaron, she dies. Now, when she dies, though it's short, and though it's terse, and it's just a quick, quick 
statement, there's an element of reverence here. She's the only woman who is going to be honored from this generation to even be mentioned or talked about in her death. She had tremendous influence in her position and in the, in the camp. Yes, she lost some of that with her rebellion in chapter 12, but God still sees fit to reverence her and honor her for her leadership and her, uh, what she had done for the people. And so you have this death that occurs. Well, think about that. We know that. What death does a, the, how does it impact family members? When we see that here, how does it impact a, a church when a, a leader may die? There's, there's a lot that happens here. What impact would it bring on Moses and Aaron to lose a sister? We all, we all know that it's going to because personal loss can impact. It can impact our judgment. It can impact our emotions. It can impact our strength, our resolve. And I believe that you see that little tidbit stated in chapter or verse 1 to help set a little bit of the context of what's going to happen in the rest of this passage. Because no sooner than is Miriam buried, look what happens in verse 2. And there was no water for the congregation. There's a personal public hardship that's going to take place. They, they're, they're all of a sudden in a place, Kadesh uh, Barnea, the oasis, it was comfortable. But as they're moving and as they're outside in the wilderness of Zin, the area of Kadesh, as they're moving away, there's going to be complaints. There's going to be unresolved grievances that the people are going to have. They're going to be frustrated once again and contend with Moses and Aaron. And if, you're, if you've been following with us through this journey, you're like, here we go again. We're going to see it happen again. And, and Moses and Aaron are going to be there. They're going to see it happen again because what happens, the people are going to chide or they're going to contend is the word with the leaders and ultimately with God. You see that right away. Verse, verse three, or verse two, they gather themselves against them. Verse three, and they chode with Moses and they spake saying, would God that we would have died with our brethren before the Lord. And why have you brought us to this congregation in the wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? It's new people. Similar story though. Why did you bring us here? Why have you brought us and our cattle out here to die? We're doing pretty good in the wilderness. It's doing okay. You know what? It would have been better for us to die back with Korah in the rebellion under fire coming down. They say, why have you brought us to this evil place? They're starting to call the place that God is providing for them the way that God is evil. Basically, they look, it's interesting in verse 5, because you think about being at Kadesh Barnea, there's figs, there's, there's pomegranates, it's an oasis, there's you know, fruit, there's comfortability there. Even the, the thought of the promised land, which they've heard about and heard about, that it's going to be this great, comfortable, wonderful place for them. Now they're looking and saying, this isn't comfortable. It's not like an oasis. This is, wilderness is not fun. There's no seeds, there's no figs, there's no vines, no pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. They come back to that big issue that they have there. So they're like, what's going on? And the people, they paint the situation as far worse than it really was. I think we need to be careful of that. I mean, was it their fate? Was their fate in the wilderness really worse than death by fire? Sure, they've been thirsty. They've been missing some of their favorite foods. But the Lord had supplied those needs before and could do it again. They weren't really as bad off as they alleged. And neither are we. It's rough. It's hard. 
You know, the public hardships that we're facing right now, they're, they're not enjoyable. But let's, let's be careful. It's amazing how full of woe we can be when we're still healthy, when we're surrounded by family that love us, when we have a, a, head, a, a roof over our heads, when we have clothes, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. And yet we can still find ourselves like it's, it's just doom and gloom. We need to, instead of having that constant doom and gloom, while we're just anticipating the worst, like, oh, America's done for, we're dead, it's over, it's just, you know. Okay, you may not like where it's at. You may like where we're going and headed. I don't know. But I, I know that we need to take our concerns to the Lord. We need to be trusting in His goodness and in His power for us in whatever situation we're in. And we have to be careful that we're not painting a situation worse than it really was. The people did that. The people, they contended with Moses. They have forgotten the miraculous provisions and the protection and the providence of God. We're right back to those. We rehearsed that a lot earlier on. But that's what they were contending with. God, you're not providing for us. God, you're not leading us correctly. Even though they're doing it through Moses, they're ultimately attacking God. And the people find themselves on dangerous ground, don't they? They're calling this evil an evil place. This, whether it's the promised land you're taking us to is evil or where God is leading us to right now is evil. They're, they're looking and saying what God is doing is not good for us. We want something better. So what did they do? They blamed Moses and Aaron because the wilderness uh, was not what they liked. Now think about that. They said, you have brought us here. You have done this. How did the people end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years? It was not because of Moses and Aaron. It was because of the rebellious choice of the people, not to put their trust in God. And yet they're looking and saying, it's your fault, Moses. It's your fault, Aaron. And they, they blame shift. And they complain about you know, what is happening in their life, and they put it on somebody else, rather than taking some of the responsibility and saying, Maybe we're here because of me or because of grandpa or because of dad, because of their choices and their decisions and taking some of the ownership. And sometimes the hardships and the hurts in life are a result of our choices and we need to take that responsibility. Sometimes they're not. But we need to look and say, God, we're going to trust in you, in your direction, in your providence, your provisions through all of this. So as they go, we must realize that no matter our present situation, the Lord has always been far more gracious and far more merciful to us than we could ever possibly deserve. The people lost, once again, perspective of that. And they came and they chided, they contended with, with Moses. You ever, you ever see this? I love this little uh, cartoon. Things can be worse. They can always be worse. You know, you can you dig your way out of prison only to find yourself digging into the bottom of the outhouse. We have bad days, and they, they potentially can be worse. So, yes, there, the terrible day of Moses and Aaron, there's personal loss. It's become terrible. It's become no good, very bad day, not only because of personal loss, but there's a public hardship crisis going on, and there's personal attacks that are being launched against them. This is not a fun day, a fun time, whether it's, whether it's all in the first day or just in a week or two in just a short period of time. Either way, we know that for Moses and Aaron right now, it's hard. It's difficult. They're struggling and battling because of all these things that are happening. And we see that play out. By this point in the book of Numbers, 
you and I, we know what's going to come next, don't we? The people complain. They come to Moses and Aaron. And what are Moses and Aaron going to do? You know it. Verse 6. Look what, look what happens. They're going to go before the Lord. And truthfully, we look and go, here we go again. They're going to have to go pray. We might even find a little bit of exasperation. The, the redundancy that, that goes through this book, like, oh, are they ever going to get it through their heads? Come on, guys, quit complaining and just follow God. We have that ability of hindsight looking back, but we can get frustrated. How do you think Moses and Aaron felt? We don't even know if these were all the times that are recorded that this happened. Not to mention all the other things that they were dealing with. So they were, they were stressed. And yet, what do they do? They go to God in prayer for direction. We see them embarking, even in the midst of their hardship, they're doing the right thing. They're living holy. They're, they're doing the right thing and, and going through. And they're going to go to God, just like they've done before. And we see them do that. And the glory of God, the Lord, appeared unto them at the end of verse 6. And God's going to tell them what to do. He says, here's, here's my response for you. Here's what I want. Now, it's a little different than the last accounts. The last couple of times, we've seen God angry with the people. He's ready to kill them. And Moses intercedes and says, no, don't do that. Now, in this situation, God, we, we see nothing about God's anger. We, just say, we see God going to graciously say, I'm going to provide for them. He says, what I want you to do is I want you and Aaron to be my agents of the miraculous provision I'm going to provide. I'm going to give them water. You're going to take the people. You're going to take the rod, gather the people. You and Aaron both, it says in the passage there. And then I want you to speak to the rock before the people. Whatever the rock was, whether it was a known rock, whether it was one that God pointed out specifically, whether it's according to Jewish tradition that there was a rock that followed the people through the, through the desert and that was the rock, we don't know. But God tells them, hey, this is the rock. I want you to go and speak to it. And when you do that, I will provide water for both man and beast. There is going to be sufficient water that is going to occur in this land. So what were their response? What was the leadership's action? Moses and Aaron, what did they do? Now, most of you probably are well aware of what's coming. You, you know your Bible. And if you don't, hold on, because here we go. They're going to take the rod. Now, the question is that comes up in verse number, verse number nine, and Moses took the rod. Which rod did he take? Did he take his own rod that he used in Egypt that turned into a serpent, or did he take Aaron's rod? I think that it's personally, I think it's Aaron's rod. As you look, verse number nine, where did he take it from? From before the presence of the Lord, which the presence of the Lord throughout the book is in the tabernacle. It's there. Where do we just put Aaron's rod? Just a couple chapters ago, you know, we put it in the tabernacle. So it was there. So Moses takes, I believe it's Aaron's rod, and he's going to gather. They're going to both gather the people in verse number 10. And as they gather the people, they're going to speak. But they don't speak to the rock. They're, they're, they have an inexact obedience. They're pretty close to doing what God said. But they don't speak to the rock. Rather, they speak to the people. And look what they say. They say, you rebels. Verse number 10. Hear now, you rebels. Must we fetch water from the rock for you? He, he calls them the rebels. The word is the person who is standing or behaving obstinately. 
His, his perspective is you're being obstinate toward God. I've heard it a hundred times before, 10 times, you know, or so, but I've, here we go again. You're being obstinate. And so he calls them rebels and he says, must we fetch the water out of this rock? There is a reluctancy by, by Moses here. Do we really, should we really do this for you? Is this really what you want? You want us to do, can we do this? And the, there's almost this perspective of, do I really want to help these defecting rebels, these obstinate people? We've helped them so much. Why are we going to do this again? It's, it's all in that, those words there. He has forgotten this. He is the instrument. He is the agent that has been designed by God to perform the miracle. He is not the performer. It would be like if, if some, of, you know, some of our instrumentalists who play sometimes for us during the services, when they play... They're the performer and they use the instrument. It would be like, you know, someone playing a clarinet. All of a sudden the clarinet looks and goes, I'm going to play my own self. I'm going to do it myself. They don't have the capability to do that. They need the performer to do the, do, do the miraculous. And God is looking and Moses is looking and Moses is going to act as if he is the one, if Aaron is the one that's going to do these miracles for the people. They presume and take the place of God. God was the one who provided the water, not Moses. Moses was simply the instrument to be used by God to do the miraculous. As we go through, Moses is then going to, in verse 11, and it's important, he lifts up his hand. Remember, we've talked about that. And it's the same, same root words, to lift up your hand in an obstinate or defiant way. He is angry. He is frustrated at this point. And he lifts up his hand to strike the rock. Now, is there cause in Moses' mind maybe to do this? Remember back in Exodus chapter 17, God told Moses, strike the rock. And then water will come out. And he did that. And water came forward. So maybe Moses looking, well, this happened before. Maybe God got it wrong. We don't know what all of his thought processes were. But we know that he lifts up his hand to strike the rock. And he doesn't do it just once, but he does it twice. And he strikes that rock. Now, Paul tells us that that rock, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, that rock, that spiritual rock was Christ. The Jews understood this early on in their writings, that the, the rock was a picture of God and his provision for the people. So for Moses to lift up that hand and to strike the rock was a direct assault on God, by Moses, in his frustrations, his obstinance, his presumption, his anger, all of those things coming out, he strikes the rock. But what is really amazing in that is even despite the failure of the leadership, God was still gracious to the people. Look what happened in verse 11. I mean, God could have easily let him and let, let him look foolish in the eyes of people. But what would have that done to the testimony of God? What would that have done to, to even Moses at that point? He was still God's leader. Yes, he was going to fail, and he did fail. But God is going to still deal with him graciously. He strikes the rock, and what happens? Water comes out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. So, 
water comes out. Maybe Moses at this point is thinking, all right, yeah, this is great. Wonderful. It happened. But there is sin that has occurred. And the question is, you know, God is going to judge the sin, but what exactly was the sin of Moses and Aaron? And there is a lot of debate and nearly every other commentary has a different opinion on what the exact sin of Moses was. Is it, you know, according to Numbers 20, verse 24, verse 27, verse 14, rebellion against my word? I mean, that's what God says. It's rebellion against my word. It's a disobedience. It's an inexact obedience to God. And that's disobedience. So he doesn't follow through everything. Is it Psalm 106, verse 33, where it talks about that Moses was not allowed to enter in because of the, and it was the Psalm written by Moses, where he talks about his rash or unadvised speech because he spoke to the people and called them rebels. Was it his anger? Was it his presumption and pride because he held up his hand against God? Was it his rebellion or lack of trust? Verse 12 says, because you believed me not and you did not sanctify me, was it because he lacked trust in God's miraculous provisions? Is, am I going to be able to speak to this rock and God's really going to do this? Do we think God's going to be able to? Maybe. We, we know that God says you lack trust. We know that God said, you did not sanctify me as holy. You did not set me apart in this situation, but rather you brought me down. You did not reverence me the way that you ought to. And it's really interesting because the word Kadesh in the Hebrew is the word for holy, to sanctify, to set apart. And yet here we have him where he does not do that. He does not uh, keep God holy. God is not uh, treated that way. We know this. All of these attitudes and actions can, can pretty much be seen through this quick disrespect of God by Moses. And it's manifested, it's shown before God's people. So Moses had let the Lord down. How? By his rash unfaithfulness, his obstinate attitude toward the Lord and his people. And in this, Aaron is involved, whether it's he spoke as well, whether it's because he allowed Moses to do this, because his attitude and heart is very similar to the situation with Aaron and Miriam. Aaron didn't do a lot of the speaking at that time, but he was still held accountable. What reasons, we don't know. But God holds both of them, because they were both given these directives, accountable before him. And God judges that sin. One of the uh, commentators, he wrote this. It's, it's, it's a sad moment, he said. The prophet who previously had been called more humble than any other on the face of the earth has just acted haughtily. The servant of God who was an exemplar of faithfulness has fallen. The one who is said to have spoke with the Lord face to face has now brought defamation to the Lord. It was a sad moment. It's a sad chapter. Israel's leaders, the prophetess has died. The leader has fallen. The high priest has failed. And there's, they're not going to be now able to do what? Because of their act of insubordination, God says to them in verse 12, you will not be able to bring these people into the land which I have given them. Moses, Aaron, you're not going to be able to enter in the promised land because of your defiance, your rebellion, your anger, your sin. You have acted just like the people acted against me. You did not trust me. You did not exalt me. You treated me like they acted. Your heart attitude is just like theirs. You're not going to be able to enter in. 
everything they've lived for and longed for over the last 40 years is now gone. It brought them down. What precipitated Moses and Aaron's demise? What brought them to this low point? Could it be, as we look at that chapter in the context right before, and I think it's true for us as well, in times of personal loss, it may be easier to justify sinful reactions and choices. I can't deal with it right now. I'm just going through this hard time. I know it's not right, but I just, I can't. I don't have the strength to battle. I don't have the strength to overcome. I can't do it. And we, we can easily justify because we're going through personal loss. In times of public hardship, we may think that it's necessary to justify sinful reactions and choices. I need to do this because I have to X, Y, Z. And we come up with reasons to justify because it's necessary. It is never necessary to directly defy God's directives. We cannot. In times of impersonal attacks, it may, it may seem for us righteous to justify our sinful reactions. And I'm going to tell them like it is. And I'm going to do it in anger. And I'm going to do it in an unrighteous manner. And my speech is going to be harsh. But I'm going to speak the right words. Were the people obstinate? Absolutely. Were they rebellious? Absolutely. Did Moses speak some of the truth? Yes. But he did it with the wrong heart attitude. He did it in the inappropriate way and he didn't follow what God had said. And we have to be careful. So could it, could it be, now, the Bible doesn't give us direct reasons as to why. But as I look through, I can, I can completely look and say this, personally, I completely understand why Moses and Aaron did what they did. But that doesn't give them an excuse to do that. To disobey what God had said to do. And it was so uncharacteristic of Moses, isn't it? I mean, we see them constantly throughout this book. The Lord spake and said this, and Moses did. And Moses did. We, we see them constantly doing it, yet in the midst of a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, weeks, months, they found themselves sliding. I have to ask, where are you at spiritually? Do you find yourself sliding away and using some of these exact excuses? Saying it's just, there's, I've, had, I've suffered personal loss, I'm just going to do my own thing, and I'll go, come back to God later. There's public hardships, there's difficulties, there's crises, there's pandemics that happen. Do I use it to justify my sinful lifestyle? Do I just look and say, well, I'm going to be the, the stalwart of righteousness, but my attitudes, my actions, my, my heart is not really right with God, but I'm going to act as though I'm righteous. I have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't find ourselves excusing our sin because of our difficult times. Now, it goes on, and what happens? You get this moment where, you know, I have the, you shall not pass. And why do I have that there? Because no sooner is this done in the narrative, in the story here of Numbers 20, that Moses and the people, they're going to need to move. And Moses is going to send messengers to Edom. Now, Edom is on, uh, it's on the the easterly side of the Jordan River and, and down into the south. And they're coming up this way, and Moses is going to send people to Edom. But Edom's going to be like, nope, you're not coming through. And Moses is going to say, can we do, please? And he's very diplomatic through the, through the passage of 14 through 21. 
In fact, he, he pleads with them three different times. And each time he's like, but I'm telling you, we won't hurt your land. We'll stay right on the King's Highway, which was a, a well-marked trail that everybody traveled up through that area. We'll stay on this highway. We won't go into your lands. We won't take anything. And anything that we may need, we'll, we'll pay for it. We're not going to hurt your land. We're not going to reek through and, and wreak havoc. We'll be respectful. And they say, no, and he, please, no. And the third time, Edom says, if you come, we will come out to battle. And they bring their army sort of to the edge and say, all right, if you're going to come, you are not passing. And so what happens at the end, verse 21, Edom refused to give Israel passage through the border, wherefore Israel turned away from him. And when you look at this passage, it's, it's interesting Moses has rebelled, he's been judged, and his failure to maintain God's holiness has been evident, okay? Will he question his leadership? Maybe. So is that why Moses says, all right, we got to go and I'm going to show my leadership through my diplomatic skills? Is Moses doing that? Will he move forward in life while he wallows in self-pity? The answer is no. He's going through hardship and hurt, but he knows that he must move forward and, and we must do the same. When we face difficult times, we need to move forward. It's hard. We need to trust in God and we need to go back to him, but we need to move forward through those, those hardships. Some have argued, and some of the commentators argue this on this passage, that Moses is trying to do this in his own power because much like the Israelites, remember at the end of uh, the Kadesh Barnea situation where the 12 spies came back, and after that occurred, they ran and said, we're going to go take the land and we're going to do it. And the ark doesn't go with them and God doesn't go with them. And they are discomfited, the King James says. They are, they are thrown back. They are hurt. They are, they are uh, beaten down. Some have said, well, the parallel is very similar where now Moses and Aaron are not able to enter into the promised land because of their rebellion against God. So Moses is going to do the same thing because if you look through the passage... You see only one time, verse 16, where, the, where anything about the Lord comes into play. So there's the lack of God's direction, they say. And, and I was reading, I'm like, oh, wow, that really makes a lot of sense. And I'm going through it. And I'm like, it, but it just doesn't seem to fit with where Moses is at. He's been judged. He's, he's moving forward. What's happening? It doesn't seem that he may be concerned about his leader. Uh, it does seem, excuse me, that he may be concerned about his leadership and really wants to take Israel along the easier road. Like this is the easier way through. And you, you can look and say, well, of course, then that's, that's what Moses is doing. He's just trying to take that easy way. And, and you can look and say that. But go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2 sheds light that I think really helps understand this passage in Numbers chapter 20. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, you're going to see a little bit of a different perspective. Look what happens in verse 1. Uh, not in verse 1 and 2. It says, uh, And we turned away and took our journey into the wilderness by way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spake unto me. And we compassed Mount Seir many days. Uh, and then the Lord said unto me, You have compassed the mount long enough. Turn ye northward. And command uh, the people saying, so who's speaking here? The Lord is speaking to Moses. The Lord is telling him, and all this is, is dialing into the same time and numbers. He says, I want you to go and command the people, verse 4, saying, you are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid of you. 
Take good heed unto yourself, therefore. Meddle not with them, for I will not give you their land. No, not so much as even a foot of their land you're going to get. Because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau, their cousins. Remember, uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau is the, the descendants of Esau are the Edomites. And so he's like, I've given them this land. You shall buy meat for them for money that they may eat. And you shall buy water of them for money that they may drink. Everything that, that Moses does in chapter 20 has all been directed by God. He's telling them, hey, tell them you're going to pay for it. Tell them you're not going to take any of their land. You're not interested in that. You just want passage. So God has told Moses to do this. Moses is once again, I mean, he, he's back. He's following the Lord's directives. That's what he's doing in that second part of Numbers chapter 20 when he goes to Edom. He's not waffling. He's not wondering. All these letters that he's writing back diplomatically, he's doing what God had told him to do. Don't meddle with their land. Don't take anything. Tell them you'll buy the food. Tell them you'll buy the water. You're not going to just rob and pillage them. Moses is not given the chance to do all of that and show that because Edom refuses passage. They were denied access. It's, it's really interesting to me. When Moses needed spiritual realignment here, whether it was that, does he need spiritual realignment, or does he need some hopeful reassurance, there's a part of Deuteronomy chapter 2 that helps us understand how Moses was able to move forward. How Moses was able to fix the perspective, the shift. Was it Moses feeling like he and Aaron were doing this all alone and even God wasn't helping? God wasn't directing. It's been 40 years in the wilderness and I'm exhausted. Was it them looking and saying that we just feel like we're going it alone and nobody is here to help us? Maybe they're broken in the midst of losing their sister. And God looks at them and says, looks at Moses and says, hey, I want you to pick up. I want you to move forward. I want you to go to Edom and we need to keep the people moving. We are going to the promised land. Look at, look at verse number 7 of Deuteronomy 2. He tells Moses, For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. He knows thy walking through the great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord thy God hath been with you, and you have lacked nothing. God looks at Moses, and he says, Hey, I've been blessing you all along. I've been blessing Israel, even graciously providing in the heartache, in the hard times. He says, I know what you're going through. I know the path. I know where you've been in the wilderness these last 40 years. I know the highs. I know the lows. And God says to Moses, I understand. I'm with you. During that entire time, I have been present with you. And I have been providing for you. Moses looks, or excuse me, God looks at Moses and says, I've been there. And I am there right now. I know you're having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, week, and month. You're having a terrible, horrible, no good 2020 into 2021. And you may feel like the world's falling apart, but God says, hey, I'm here. Hey, I've got you. I'm providing for you. I will protect you. I will care. I'm still in control. It reminds me of my grandma had the, the poem, The Footprints in the Sand, always in her, in her house. 
And do you remember how it goes? It talks about that, you know, you're walking through life, you're walking through life, and there's two sets of footprints along the sand. But then in the really hard times, the person, the, the writer of the poem is like, why is there only one set? See, God, you've abandoned me. And God looks and says, no, it's during those times that I carried you. I helped you through those hard times. And, and that's the same thing that God is telling Moses. You're going through hard times. You're going through difficulties. I'm still here. You've been judged for your sin. You've rebelled against me, but I still love you. I still care for you. Yes, there's consequences, but it does not diminish God's love and God's mercy and God's grace for righteous people. As we confess, God is graciously providing and helping us and, and, and giving us comfort and strength through those hard times. Moving forward may have been difficult for Moses, but he continues in hope of God's faithfulness to his word. And if this chapter wasn't sad enough, denial, death sentences, death of a loved one, all of this encompassing Moses and, and Aaron, but a lot focused on Moses at this point toward the end of the chapter, the searing pain of loss is brought forward once again. In verses 22 through 29, Moses' co-worker, his right-hand man, his brother, is going to die. God announces to Moses, says, hey, you're going to take Aaron, and it's time for him to die. And he says, and it's going to be because of the rebellion at Meribah. You're going to, and you understand Moses. And Moses understood. And so what happens is Moses, Aaron, and Eliezer, Aaron's son, they're going to go up into the mountain, and there there is going to be a transfer of power. You're going to have the situation where the high priest goes up as Aaron, and when Eliezer comes down, Eliezer is now the high priest. And Moses is going to obey completely. Verse 27, Moses did the, what the Lord commanded. If there's ever a time to want to switch it around, no, this is my brother. I don't want to do it, God. This is my friend. I don't want to do that, God. This is, this is the one. I mean, he's, he's got my back. I don't, want to, I don't want to follow. I don't want to do this. And yet Moses, in this difficult time, obeys completely. He learned his lesson that, hey, even in hardship and duress and hurt, I still need to do what's right. So the people are going to see, verse 27, it says, they see all three of them walk up, and then Moses is going to strip Aaron. He doesn't do it only of the royal priestly garments, but it is a symbolization, a symbolic gesture of taking the right of being the high priest, and it is no longer Aaron's. He has forfeited that. It is gone, and it is now going to Eliezer, his son. The generation, the older generation is dying off, the new generation and the leadership is starting to take place and God is prepping them and moving them toward the promised land. And it happens to Aaron here and Aaron is going to die on the mountain. It doesn't say that the people saw it. It doesn't say if Moses buried him, we're assuming probably he did or we don't know, but maybe God miraculously did something with Aaron. All we know is Aaron dies on the mountain and Eliezer comes down as the high priest. And look what happens in verse 27 or 29, excuse me. And when the congregation, all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, 
they mourned for Aaron 30 days. The group that was just contentious with them, they understood though, their high priest was dead. The one who was their mediator is gone, but there's a new one because God has not left them abandoned. God has not left them forsaken. There is still the priestly line and it is now Eliezer. So they still have a way to proceed to God. Now it's not through Aaron, but it's through Aaron's line and his son, Eliezer. You start looking at this passage and Moses, I believe, sees hope through tragedy, through trials, through hurt, through heartache. He understands that God is still with us. He knows that uh, he, um, he knows our steps. He knows our struggles. God does. God cares for us. He provides for us. In all the heartache, we can have hope through all the tragedies, through all the difficulties, that we can have hope. He protects his children. It's interesting. Did you catch verse 25 and 26 in the passage? There's two statements in there. Um, excuse me, verse 24. It says that uh, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people. Verse 26. And Aaron shall be gathered unto his people. It is a, it is a phrase that gives hope that he's not going to be left in the ground. He's not going to be just there, but he is rather going to be called home. He is going to be in heaven. He is going to be with the righteous that have gone before him. And for Moses, there is that hope that Aaron is not simply going to be judged and forgotten and left to to turn to dust. But righteous Aaron has that home in heaven. There's there's great hope there, is there not? And we we talk about first Corinthians or first Thessalonians chapter four where we talk about that they which are dead and buried one day will be alive and caught up together with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he, and Paul says, comfort one another with these words. We, we ourselves hold to the hope that believers, that the righteous, that one day we will see them again. And it helps us through that hurt and the heartache and the hardships that we, we face. Moses hopes to see him again. Moses knows that he will not be left in the grave, that he is going to be gathered. He is being called home by the one who gives those words. Who is giving those words to him? It is God. And God has said he he will be gathered with his people. Moses and Aaron, Moses in particular, has a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad four months. This chapter takes place over four months all consecutively, and it is difficult and it is hard. And he learns these lessons. And for us, as we go through trials and tragedy, be triumphant. Don't fall. Be victorious through Christ. When you are hurting, when there is harm that is taking place and hardships that we face, let's seek to be holy. Because if we can take anything away from this passage battling sin is difficult. And at times, battling sin in difficult times is understandable. It's there. We're going to battle. We're going to face those times. But it should not be an excuse for us to be unfaithful. Let's seek to be triumphant and victorious through Jesus Christ, who has made us holy and help us to be holy as he is holy. Let's not use our hardships, our hurts, our difficulties for an excuse to be unfaithful. Let's live righteously before our God. Father, I pray that you would help us to practice that. 
Lord, there's a lot of hurt right now. There's a lot of hardship and a lot of difficulty. And God, I pray that you would help those that are going through those battles to find hope in you. For it is the, you are the only one who can give us hope. You are the whole, only hope for our, our country, for our world. And Lord, I pray that you would grant the hope and the peace and the strength to those who need it, the comfort for those who are hurting and going through difficulties right now. Some of who experience loss, some who have uh, just been going through the hardships of COVID and their life has been flipped, turned upside down, Lord. And I pray that you would help them to, to have strength. Lord, that you would give us the, the righteous desire to live for you in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our trials. Thank you for your holiness and help us to be holy as you are holy. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much. Have a great day.